good morning, Terra Nova Troy. So my name is Pastor Bill. I'm one of the uh, pastors here on staff, and I, I'm so glad to be up here on the stage. And as the band leaves, I'll try to take off my mask. Isn't it crazy? We hardly see each other's faces anymore, right? I have to unmask, get a chance to, to uh, as, as some of you are comfortable removing your masks during the service, so we could uh, just to see each other's faces and and know that this time is not going to last forever. We look forward to, uh, I don't know when that's going to be, when we're able to relax a little bit more. But anyway, so glad that you're here. This is my first time preaching in Rev Hall since uh, we've been back. This is our third Sunday here. Uh, if some of you were with us during the summer when we were outdoors initially in smaller groups in people's backyards. Then we were at River uh, Front Park there in, in Troy. And it's just good to be here together. Uh, today is a, a big day for my wife. Uh, if you see her, uh, congratulate her. She has been married to me for 17 years. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's a, quite a feat to stick with me and uh, our four children for nearly two decades. So thank you, Katie, and love you and happy anniversary. Uh, we are continuing in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We are wrapping up chapter 13 today. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those or open up your, the app on your phone. question I have as we, as we start out this morning is how do you respond to things that you don't like to hear? What do you do when, you're, when ideas or opinions that you hold are questioned? Are you willing to be uncomfortable? as you work through an issue? Are you able to admit if you're wrong? Or do you get defensive? Can you be honest with yourself when light is shed on some area of your life that you would rather not address? I think those are questions that all of us are reluctant to answer out loud. We're probably more resistant to being confronted uh, than we would care to admit you know what, those times of being under the microscope can be helpful. Sometimes they, they help us recognize a blind spot in our lives. They, they can help us to be honest about an attitude or a behavior that we've been avoiding. They can help us to think. And if you're a follower of Jesus who desires to grow in your faith, then I think you've experienced those, those uh, moments of confrontation as you're reading the Bible or you're listening to a sermon uh, hopefully the Word of God has gotten your attention at times. Maybe, hopefully that's a regular part of your life. Maybe it was a friend, a brother or sister in Christ who was willing to speak truth to you at a time when you needed to hear it. You realized you had something that you needed to deal with. We all need to be challenged from time to time. In fact, I think these sorts of encounters can be good and healthy even if they are uncomfortable. We're going to look at an encounter that Jesus had with some people, some people that uh, he probably knew, uh, people that knew him or knew of him. Uh, as Jesus went back to his hometown, Nazareth, at the end of Matthew 13, where we've been the last uh, few weeks, last several weeks as we've been working through this section on the parables, where Jesus challenged those who were listening to think carefully about what the Lord was doing among them, and what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. But now let's see uh, at the end of the chapter here how, how Jesus' friends and neighbors responded to being challenged. 
If you haven't yet, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we're going to be in verse 53 through 58. It's a short section. If you'll read along with me. To yourself, of course. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And he said, and, and, they, and, they, and said, where did, did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? In verse 57, they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor in his hometown and his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. If you'll bow your heads, I'm going to open us with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for bringing us here together. We acknowledge that none of us are here by accident, but all part of your plan. Lord, you've brought us all here on our particular journeys. Lord, to hear from your word. We thank you for the times that we can worship together, sing these songs that point us to you, that we celebrate your love for us. Father, how you sent your son to give his life for us. We're grateful for that, these times, but now we're, we pray that you would just open up our hearts and our minds to your word. Lord, we need you this morning. In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, let's take a look at this encounter that Jesus had that, that day with unbelief. Uh, Matthew doesn't mention anything about why Jesus went to Nazareth, but I suspect it was an opportunity to highlight the need for God's people to respond to the parables uh, with faith. We don't know the details of what Jesus taught, or then he probably was, seems like he was reviewing maybe the, the parables, sharing some of the things he, he just shared that we had, we've gone through as a church. Uh, but we know he made some kind of impression that day. In verse 54, they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Apparently, Jesus had done some mighty works there, perhaps healed people, as he often did during his ministry. I mean, some very impressive things that, that day. The people had listened to Jesus' teaching and were initially impressed by his command of scriptures, by the profound things he was sharing. They also witnessed maybe some miracles there. However, rather than take his words to heart, we see the people responded by questioning Jesus' authority and, and subtly insulting him. Did you catch that? In verse 55, is this not the carpenter's son? We know who this guy is. His dad's a carpenter. It's not his mother called Mary. Can't help but wonder if they were thinking about some of those rumors that went around about Mary. How she was with child before Joseph and her were married. Hmm. I know his brothers here, James and Joseph, Simon and Judas, and his sisters. We know them. This guy isn't that impressive. He's from around here. How can he tell us what to believe? How can he tell us how to live? I think they were basically saying to Jesus, we don't need to listen to you. You can mind your own business. So you think of this story, this brief little story that Matthew puts at the end of the chapter. Does it surprise us? You know, maybe, maybe not. 
If you think about the situation that day, like most of us who go to church, these people didn't want to be made uncomfortable that day. They didn't want someone questioning what they believed or how they were living. I suspect they had gone to that synagogue that morning because that's what they did each week. These were good people. They went there to hear the Bible taught. Should have been a normal day, but here was Jesus teaching things that that really required them to ask some tough questions of themselves. Besides, in their mind, Jesus was no better than them. They knew him. He grew up in that town. From our perspective, it's a bit tragic in the sense that here was Christ the Lord in their midst, standing among them, sharing with them what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. They don't want to listen. Instead of wrestling through with challenging things, they hardened their hearts. In verse 57, we read, they took offense at him. They took offense at him. Matthew is showing us that this is really more than just a disagreement. Not only did they not like what he was saying, they disagreed with it, but they had enough of him. And maybe that's the story that's a little bit surprising. These were not a group of, uh, you know, some disinterested secular person or some oppositional atheist that, that you may come across at different times in life, maybe when you're sharing your faith. Just someone that just doesn't want to hear it, not interested. These are people who got together every Sabbath to hear what the Bible taught. They should have received the words of God with, with uh, open hearts, and yet they dismissed Jesus. They should have been willing to be challenged, but they responded with unbelief. So the story, it kind of ends sadly in verse 58. Matthew shares that Jesus did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And I think that's really the main part of the story. These people who gathered each week to hear the scriptures would miss the teaching and ministry of the Lord because their hearts were hard. They would miss the grace of God because of their unbelief. And I think that issue intersects with our lives. We need to be careful of that human tendency to harden our heart to things that we don't want to hear, that we don't want to address. We need to be careful of unbelief. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, if you've ever thought of that as being something you could potentially struggle over. Let's take a look at unbelief. What is unbelief? Don't confuse it with doubt. We all deal with doubt in many areas of our lives. We try to navigate life and figure out what to believe about certain issues, certain situations. Uh, hopefully we don't just believe everything we hear. We need to wrestle through that. You know, we, doubt, we may doubt an idea because it seems implausible or lacks evidence. All right, We, we don't trust the person, the source of that information. D- doubt is a part of our thinking process where we need to discern between what is true and what is false. Between what, what is foolish and what is wise. In the area of faith, we talk about doubt in really two different ways. First is the person outside the faith who is yet to overcome obstacles, intellectually or emotionally, that are preventing her from committing to belief in God. You know, we welcome those folks. If you're, if you're wrestling through those doubts, we want to help you with that. There's something we can do to talk through those issues 
try to make sense, maybe some passages of Scripture that just are confusing or difficult. The second is the doubt that followers of Jesus can experience from time to time as we try to make sense of the challenges of life through the lens of the Scriptures. Not all the doubts we experience come from intellectual struggles. Some of our seasons of doubt arise from situations where our emotions are in conflict with what we believe. You know, we may have confidence intellectually in the promises of God's word. We know what the Bible teaches, but we may not feel it in the moment. I think if you've been living for Christ for long, you know that experience. These times of doubt can leave us discouraged, but they can also lead to bad decisions. Instead of trusting God through a difficult time, we can lash out, be angry at God, maybe justify bad attitudes or, or behavior that's harmful and doesn't honor God. Doubt may also come from traumatic events in our past. Some struggle to feel confident that the Lord is good because of the pain that we have gone through or we're still going through. Others can find it d- difficult to believe that God can be a loving father due to the failure of our earthly parents. There's just lots of different reasons that we can, we can struggle with our past and, and not feel the things that we, we, we know we believe. We can't go too deep into that today, but the point is that doubt is part of the journey of following Jesus. Also, let me be clear, I'm not talking about that, that kind of spirit of critical skepticism. You know, that person that just wants to find every loose string that they can pull I'm talking about those authentic struggles where we, have, we all have as we try to navigate life, try to figure things out, try to, try to understand how to apply God's word to whatever situation we're going through. The doubt that we experience as, as followers of Jesus is like Peter's attempt to get out of the boat and follow Jesus on the water. We know that miraculous story. Peter trusted the Lord, but the moment that he had his doubts, he began to sink. He began to sink, and he needed the hand of God to help him stand. Again, we can't go too far in discussion about doubt and faith, but I want to be clear that faith is not in God is not some all-or-nothing transaction where we must always be complete, have things completely figured out and be 100% sure of everything related to to Christianity. That's not what we're talking about here. The call of discipleship is not like that. Jesus said to those he called as disciples, come follow me. We need to think about that sometimes. Come follow me. He asked them to trust in him so they could grow in their faith as they followed where he would lead them. They would learn on the way. So faith in Christ is, based not so, is not based solely on theological concepts that we must intellectually resolve in some sort of spiritual equation. I, if you know me, I love to read. I love theology. If you go to my office, i got a bunch of theology books. It's just something I truly enjoy. I love to, to think and talk about what the Bible teaches and, and these, us about the Lord and his plan for us. But my faith is not in theological concepts. My faith is in the person of our Lord and Jesus Christ. Christian faith is personal. 
We can move forward in our journey in spite of what's, what's happened in our lives because the Lord became flesh and dwelled among us. John 1.14, that very important passage. Because our Savior died on the cross, was raised from the dead, and was witnessed by hundreds of people, including the apostles, who would go on to give their lives to share the good news of Jesus, we can move forward with confidence. Not because we have everything figured out, but we trust in the one who came to be among us and gave his life for us. So what is unbelief? Unbelief is primarily an issue of the heart, uh, uh, more than a struggle of the mind. It's more an issue of the heart than a struggle of the mind. We should question an idea we find unsupported, implausible, or inaccurate. Okay, we need to do that. We need to be discerning people. God calls us to think through things. That's why the Lord gave us the scriptures written by so many authors over so many centuries where we wrestle through these questions and we look to the Lord for guidance. We walk by faith we trust in the, the rock-solid foundation of the Word of God. But unbelief is, is different than that. It's about those times when, when we're unwilling to think through something because it might make us uncomfortable. Unbelief is not wrestling through an idea, it's dismissing an idea. Or the person sharing it because we don't like it, because we want to avoid the implications. At the core of unbelief is choosing to dismiss or ignore biblical teaching. It's hardening our hearts to the voice of God. It's not taking the time to, the rest, to wrestle through the issues, address the hard stuff in life. I think a lot of us can use unbelief as a shield to protect ourselves from addressing those attitudes and behaviors we'd rather not deal with. John Calvin wrote about unbelief in the context of Jesus' encounter here at the synagogue that day. He saw their unbelief as not their inability to understand or Jesus' Jesus's inability to convince them. For Calvin, the story inter, uh, demonstrates that apart from God's grace, quote, we are not simply hindered by ignorance, but we de deliberately seize hold of an offense or an excuse so that we may not follow God where he calls. For the person who has not made a commitment of faith in Jesus, unbelief will leave you lost in your sins, separated from God. Again, this is not the same as doubt where a person is trying to make sense of the gospel of Jesus intellectually. You know, that's a process. And we pray the Lord would guide you through that to come to that point where you trust in him. Unbelief is an attitude where we avoid those struggles. We all should be careful of attitudes of unbelief that keep us from experiencing God's grace. See that in verse 58. Jesus did not do many works there because of their unbelief. Don't miss the grace that God gives when we deal with sin and we work through those difficult situations in our lives. So how do we fall into these periods of unbelief? For some of us, it can become an unhealthy pattern of how to deal with stuff just to get through the week. Too often, it, it uh, seems easier to choose to complain about our situation or to doubt God's plan or doubt his goodness rather than trusting in him to get through it. Rather than going to the Bible to work through our questions or frustrations, 
we just get discouraged or just get busy. Instead of leaning into the Lord in those times, we allow our heart to get hard. If we're not careful, we can settle into the attitude of unbelief. So let's look at some causes of unbelief. I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing. What are some of the things that uh, we, can, we can struggle with that, that lead to unbelief? I was reading in Proverbs earlier in the week, and I came across Proverbs 26, or 28, 26. He who trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Unbelief is foolishness. It's closing ourselves off to the wisdom of God. Unbelief is that false confidence that we can do it ourselves. Folks, be careful of the foolishness of self-sufficiency. It leads to unbelief if we're not careful. We can be foolish in our faith by not taking seriously the temptations around us, not staying focused on our need for God's grace and on the light of his word to guide us. It's a hard journey of following Jesus. Be careful. Another factor is, is laziness in our spiritual journey. I think this goes right along with foolishness. I found that I can harbor attitudes of, of unbelief because I just don't want to deal with certain areas of my life. It takes tough decisions, maybe, maybe requires some discipline out of me that I don't want to give. I'd rather avoid that hard stuff. What self-centeredness? Without a Christ-centered vision for my life where I rely on God's grace and I'm guided by God's word, I can fall back into unbelief where I don't want to deal with sinful attitudes and behaviors. Let's not miss this bedrock issue in the life of a Christian, this idea of being Christ-centered. The call of discipleship starts with losing our lives, dying to self, taking up our cross. If you were following along with us this summer, you know, we... We went through those as Jesus was very clear about what it means to be a disciple. Living with me at the center leads to unbelief as I protect myself from being challenged by the gospel. How about misplaced priorities? Sometimes attitudes of unbelief can take root because we're too busy. Too busy to listen, too busy to deal with stuff. And I think this age that we're living in now, uh, we, we're probably facing this greater than any other generation. So many things, so many distractions just to click away at our fingertips. So many things we can focus on. How about struggles with sin? If we continue in sin patterns, they often can cause us to feel distant from the Lord. And they can isolate us from friends and family who are there to speak the truth of God's word into our hearts. Remaining stuck in, in sin patterns can cloud our perspective. Sometimes it's the guilt and the shame from our sin that can keep us from going to the Lord, from listening to him. We can get so comfortable in our sin that we don't want to take the steps to change, to stop that behavior. One of the biggest lies we may tell ourselves that is that that. God wants us to be happy, so we must be okay with whatever that particular issue is. Rather not deal with it because it makes me happy. 
Struggles and sin can lead, often lead to unbelief. You know, we can be ruled by our emotions, not wanting to deal with unpleasant feelings, not wanting to hear things that we don't like, that don't make us feel good. Don't set aside a, a discipline of the Lord because you don't feel that a particular attitude is a big deal. We need to be honest with ourselves and address stuff whether we like it or not. Don't get detached from your church family. Be careful of that, folks, especially during this time when we're not able to spend as much time together personally as we'd like. Don't underestimate your need for your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you in your journey. Too often we, we, we see people struggle who drift away from their church family, their support. And the encouragement. You know, it's much easier to deceive ourselves when our voice is the only one that we're hearing. We need one another. Don't let a, uh, the, the lack of voices in your life allow you to drift into unbelief. Maybe you're, you're discouraged by an ongoing situation or struggle. You know, there are times where we are feeling overwhelmed by our situation. Discouragement might be clouding our perspective. and our emotional fatigue, we may struggle to deal with issues. Again, this is why we need one another in our lives. We need to help to see beyond our situation and to trust God. One of the main places that we, 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 we can do that here in our churches through our tribes our small groups. We get together throughout the month to open God's word together, to talk through areas of life, to pray for one another. We need each other to give us feedback, to get us, give us encouragement. Value that time. Don't, don't just show up for those meetings, whether that's in person or if you're having to do them online right now. Be engaged, be invested. We need one another. How about unresolved pain and trauma from our past? Sometimes those are areas that can can lead us to unbelief. We may need help to address some of those some of those significant hurts from our past. Maybe we struggle to trust God because some some area from, from our history still continues to bring us pain. That pain shapes how we think, how we feel. If that sounds familiar, that we want to help. We want to help you with that. One of the ways we do that, I won't have any really any time to cover that, is through our redemption groups. They're groups that meet throughout the year where we are able to address issues from our past and find grace from God through the truth of God's word. So how do we resist unbelief? As we close here, I just want to give you some, uh, some thoughts to take with you. The most basic way to respond to attitudes of unbelief that creep into our heart and mind is to trust the Lord actively, to make the choice to lean into him rather than drift away. And I think that's so important right now, where it's so easy to drift away from our friends, our church family, when we're isolated, when we're having to keep our distance. Trust in Jesus. The place to start when you're ready to deal with unbelief is at the cross. Have you responded to Christ by faith? Are you willing to take up his yoke and walk with him where he leads? That, that, that teaching that Jesus shared earlier in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. Are you willing to set aside time to listen? The truth of God's word is the best medicine for unbelief. Listen to the voice of God in the pages of scripture. Be willing to honestly address sin. Again, unbelief is self-deception. We harden our hearts to the truth of God's word to avoid tough issues or to continue to live like we want to live. 
And again, we need to accept accountability from sisters and brothers in Christ. When we detach ourselves from our church family, we cast aside the help that we could have to deal with our struggles and self-deception that we use to justify our sin. We need one another. Be willing to share your struggles with the people in your tribe and receive that encouragement and that accountability that that they can give you. The last thing I can advice I can give you here as we resist that drift to unbelief is rest in the goodness of the Lord. Rest in the goodness of the Lord. We follow Jesus because we know that he is good. We know that he is good. He's, he demonstrated that once and for all clearly at the cross. He laid his life for us, the one who was innocent, to bear our burden of sin And he rose from the grave. He had victory over death so we can have life. We know that he is good. In spite of how dark your situation may be, maybe how long your struggle continues without much change, the Lord is walking through it with you. Became flesh and walked among us. So doubt is is the band gets ready to come up. Let me finish with this thought. Doubt is wanting or needing more information Unbelief is stubbornly refusing to deal with the information you have before you. Where are you today? Have you made that commitment to the Lord by faith? If not, is it because you still have questions or unresolved issues in your mind? Maybe there's emotional or intellectual obstacles that you have to put in your faith in Jesus. If that's the case, then please talk with someone. Maybe we can help you. Look for those answered, those answers. But please, don't resist the Lord today because of unbelief. Too many of us can dismiss Jesus because he asks more than we want to give. Believe in the promises of the Lord that in him we can have life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you and to hear your word spoken and taught. Lord, may you help us to deal courageously with those things that we don't always want to hear. Lord, may you help us to turn from unbelief and to trust in you. Lord, may we find grace from the healing that comes as you deal with those issues of our heart. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray these things.